Osiris. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Hey... I'm Duran Jones. I'm from Louisiana, a very small town called Hillaryville. A lot of folks know me through Duran Jones and the Indications, uh, a soul band based out of Indiana. I met those guys while I was um, doing grad school out there. And um, and you have a solo record, a debut solo record dropping as we speak. Yes, I do. And um, it's my baby. Been a lot of years working on this thing and I'm so proud of it. <laughs> it is a big, luxurious, luscious baby, I would say. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I think when you put a lot of time and love and energy into something, um, you want it to represent, you know, your whole story, where you come from, what you've gone through, your family and what they've gone through. Um, did it feel like almost like a lot of pressure to try to put everything of who you are into one record? Or did you just kind of go song by song and tell the stories? You know, honestly, I wrote these tunes. Um, and I always knew I had a record. I just didn't know what it was gonna be about. And so I just kind of let the universe tell me in some ways um, what exactly this thing would be. And immediately I got the sign that it should be about my story, my beginning. This is the first time in my music career that I've been like able to honestly and openly tell my story unfiltered. And so getting that sign, that message meant, okay, I have to start at the beginning. Where's the beginning of this thing? And um, um, in 1864. And so I had to go there and move all the way until 2022, 2023. Welcome back to the show on the road. Thanks for being with us. I'm your Sonic Spelunker, Zach Lupiton, and uh, as you just heard, we're going to be talking to Louisiana's finest, Durand Jones, for this week's episode. And while he has toured the world with sweet soul superstars Duran Jones and the Indications, he is branching out on his own for his new record, Wait Till I Get Over, and it really moved me listening this week. And in many ways, what Duran did with these songs is a radical act. He chose the music over everything else, over relationships, over love, over diving into the pain of the past. He let the music lift him up and take him to the stars. So I'm gonna shut up and let Duran Jones take it from here. Yeah, that uh, first track, Lord Have Mercy, which is out 
people getting a glimpse of of what's to come. I mean, the video is is very striking. It's very haunting, um, and really, it's a it's a it's a full film. Um, we begin and end with the fire and seeing a community go up in flames. These little kids witnessing the violence that has existed in Louisiana and all around uh, much of this country for centuries. Oh, my mama We assume, obviously, that, oh yeah, that's a, a different part of our history that we've moved beyond. But really, the scars of the Civil War and Reconstruction, Jim Crow, it, it's it's everywhere. And um, how did that video and that, and that song kind of come to be for you? Um, <clears throat> man, Lord have mercy. Um, it's one of the first tunes that I wrote for this record. And um, I wrote it while I was home in Louisiana around 2000, or the idea of it came to me around 2014 when I just finished grad school and I was living home with my grandmother, um, really trying to make something out of myself. I was in a very, very dark situation. At that point in time of my life, I was pretty depressed. And um, every Saturday, every Sunday morning, she would knock on my door around 9.15 and be like, Duran, I'm going to church. I'll see you later. You know, like she was egging me on like she wanted me to go to church with her. But I was always so tired and I, I just didn't want to go. Um, so when she would leave, I would get up and I would look around Hillaryville. Hillaryville is a really maybe about 500 folks or so in the um, really small town. So I would just look and see how the place settled into itself. You know, like I feel like the Lord have mercy video really reflects on my grandmother's time while she was in Hillaryville. And when she was there, it was once a thriving business, a thriving place with, um, with restaurants and bars and hotels and all this little, in this little small rural town in the south of Louisiana and the aftermath and effects of the war on drugs that really affected Hillaryville. And so that's where I guess the cross line, cross wire is for me and my experience in Hillaryville and my grandmother's experience in Hillaryville because it was such an idealistic place and so far removed from, from my vision or, or how I seen Hillaryville growing up, um, even still, um, even though it was the sanctuary place, the sanctuary town, they still dealt with the terror and the, the sporadicness of hate, domestic terrorism, and all these different things that, um, that was always a constant um, thing in the back of their minds.
is your grandmother responsible in in some way i think for your the confidence that you have to make music and and to sort of be who you are yeah definitely she was definitely the first supporter and she took me to get my first saxophone get my first music instrument she was the one who encouraged me to sing and make me singing gospel choir at church and so first and foremost she was the most encouraging that phrase or even the the idea of mercy right it threads its way through so many different genres of of music um obviously gospel you know i always remember that retha franklin uh gospel record and they sing you know mercy 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 you know that sort of mm -hmm. calling out to a higher power hoping for some sort of forgiveness, but also trying to almost forgive humanity for the darkness that it's perpetuated on itself, you know? Um, did you feel like this record was a, a processing, almost like a therapy situation for you? Like definitely a feeling of loneliness, of isolation and yearning, um, whether for love or, or connection to a higher power. Did you grow up religious or, or did you sort of find you were rebelling against your grandmother's wishes to go to church? Um, I grew up religious. Yeah. I, I can no longer call myself Christian, um, but I still do practice some aspects of Christianity. I would like to say that I'm moving into some realm of voodoo nowadays, um, mainly because it's what my ancestors practiced before Christianity was forced upon them. But I do find that Christianity does have some great principles within it. But this record was definitely influenced by gospel music um, because it was such an integral part of my life growing up. Throughout the years I spent in Hillaryville, um, my grandmother made sure that we always went to church. And my favorite part of church was always the music. And so it always played a really big impact for me um, throughout my singing my playing saxophone, my piano playing, all that stuff. So a lot of folks obviously discovered you within the last, uh, you know, five years or so with the, the larger group, the indications, I got to see you guys uh, at the Hollywood bowl opening for Nathaniel Rateliff. That was a really oh, cool. special uh, night. That was the first real concert that me and my wife were like, all right, we're getting out of the house. We're getting a babysitter, you know, in a long time. And oh, that's really um, beautiful. You know, obviously the Hollywood Bowl is about as big as it gets. I mean, could you imagine going from uh, playing the, the Soul Reviews in Bloomington, Indiana to, to you know, gracing these stages where the freaking Beatles and, and the biggest folks in the world are playing? I mean, that trajectory was pretty steep and pretty immediate. I mean, it's, it's amazing to see. Um, did I expect it? Not this fast, no. I remember being cramped up in like an old school Volvo, it had to be like a 1991 Volvo or something like that. Whole bands cramped in there, like all of us. And we're driving to play this place. I mean, it was like right across from Capitol Records, some little like showcase thing. And <clears throat> we passed the Hollywood Bowl. And I remember seeing like Herbie Hancock, John Legend, maybe like the Foo Fighters on like the marquee of like all the shows is coming up. And I was just like, man, I can't imagine what it's like playing that thing. And then like four or five years later, bam. There you are. We were there. Yeah, it was a very emotional um, moment for me, for sure. The juxtaposition between 
sorry, the juxtaposition between you and, and Aaron Fraser, the other lead vocalist. He's a drummer, but he's also singing in this beautiful high falsetto, whereas, you know, you're going a little more of the, the gritty soul sound. I feel like your voice reminds me of a like Wilson Pickett, Donny Hathaway, just the emotion and the um, the fear. Yes, JJ agrees. Does it feel like almost like you're you have two groups in one, or does it feel like yeah, this is just a natural fit? It just feels like a natural thing, honestly. Um, and for me, um, my goal for music is for it to feel organic. I don't want things to feel forced, and I don't want to. I'm not that kind of guy that will be like, okay, this is my show, this is my moment, and I'm not gonna let anyone take it away from me. I'm not that kind of guy. And so it just felt natural for it to move to where it is now. I mean, the, the self-titled record is great, you know, from 2018, uh, the 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 song that that opens the record is you know very fiery talking about you know um we we need a change right not only that you're sort of calling for people um to see the stories the single mom with three kids work in the street seeing how it's almost impossible for people to make enough money to get by um and that you know, obviously wages in this country haven't risen in 35 years, right? You lead with that song, right? It's like you're not hiding it four or five songs in, right? This desperation in your voice and and, and the the brass and, and, and the organ, it's, it, it's right at the top. Um, and then to kind of soften the blow, we have the, you know, is it any wonder, <laughs> right? Sweet soul. That's, Sweet that's soul, what is, is that what you call yeah. it? So some people would like to prefer the term, but yeah, 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 yeah. But those two things lived together in that 70s world, especially Marvin Gaye, Smokey Robinson, yes. right? Where you could talk about some heavy shit and then be like, hey, babe, let's maybe make out in the back of the car for the next five hours <laughs> <laughs> at the park. <laughs> like we yeah, need both. I just feel like it's a part of soul music. It's a core essence of what soul music is about. dare to say that you cannot be a soul musician no matter if you were back in the 70s or here in 2023 you cannot be a soul musician and not be politically conscious mm -hmm. um I, I really do feel like that's something that 
extremely ingrained in the DNA of soul music to the point to where like James Brown found a way for people to party and get funky all the while getting them hip to what's going on in the government, what's going on with the mob, how the mob does things and how we should do things. And, you know, like he was, people were dancing to that stuff, but they were also like really receiving information. Um, and so I personally just, yeah, have always felt like this duty or this task to always be conscious of the social systems in place that, it, that are stopping us from human rights. I've been thinking about this a lot lately, just, um, you know, like the, there, there are governments across the country that are really, really restricting down on women's rights and trans rights and, and uh, gay rights. And I just wonder, like, when are we going to start thinking about human rights? Like, do these people who are making yeah. these laws not consider these folks that are different from them to be just as human as them? It's like, I, I, I really would love for us to focus on who is human and making sure that that person has all the rights that a human deserves because... It seems like right now um, our politicians are, are giving us categories of who should be the more prioritized human and who should be the human thrown in the trash. And um, but I just feel like even nowadays, just as yeah. a soul musician, like this is stuff that we should be talking about. And, you know, you can be serious like what's going on. But you can also be like James Brown. Um, I'm black and I'm proud or um, Mr. President, funky mm -hmm. Mr. President. Um, you could be like that, you know, and, and really teach someone something, but also keeping a groove going. I think, again, you, you said that this record starts in the 1860s. It doesn't start in the 60s. It starts way back when the fundamental question of who is human was being discussed in our government, right? Yeah. The reason why slavery and all these policies were set in motion is because enough people fully believed that people with darker skin weren't fully human were not able to be considered um people with feelings and and worthy of dignity right so why would we have to pay them to work why would we have to treat them with any kind of kindness you know there's no reason so now we we go to the current policies where folks are trying to gut the voting rights act and uh now you have a song like Seeing It Through, um, which actually has this interesting uh, spoken word intro. But you're talking about how our calloused feet have to walk over the thorns, right? Have to keep pushing things forward. And only your own 
self-belief, your own self-esteem can kind of drag things forward. And um, do you feel like uh, when you get on stage that you, you know, you mentioned faking it until you make it, but do you feel like you're putting on this heightened version of yourself to lead the band or is it just sort of your most true self? You know, I try to rise to the occasion. And and I, I guess I say that because yeah, I, it is a heightened part of myself. Um, whenever I'm off stage, I'm pretty introverted and I don't wear a lot of fancy clothes. I don't put on a lot of jewelry. Um, I'm usually um, a hermit in some ways when I'm off stage, uh-huh. but whenever I get on stage, I, I have to be extroverted. I like wearing a lot of gaudy stuff. I like wearing bright colors, patterns, uh, big hats. I just like to have this big personality when I'm on stage. And I feel like that's a part of the legacy that I'm a part of and that I have to carry on. Um, I just think about all of the greats who came before me and how they did things and how they carried themselves and I just want to move that forward and keep it going. Um, they laid the path for me to do what I'm doing. And so I need to lay, continually lay the path for the ones that will come after me. And so, yeah, whenever I get on stage, I would like to believe that it's a heightened version of myself. Yeah. I always, I always feel with, uh, you know, my group Dust Bowl Revival, and we've been around for over 10 years that a lot of times I'm not cool enough in real life to like be playing the clubs or, or, or events that we're in. Right. Like I normally would be like, God, I don't feel comfortable here. Yes. Oh yeah. But I'm the reason why they're here. You know, it's like, there's like an interesting disconnect there. Whereas when you get off stage, sometimes all of a sudden you're still not cool enough to be there, even though everyone's like, great job. You know? Uh, yeah. Because I feel like it's like, we're always like our 17 year old self. Like, you know, you have this song where you're talking to your, uh, teenage um, self and is is there something that you is there like one thing that you wish you could have told yourself um just to I would just want to let him know that you could dream for yourself um you can dream bigger than any dream anyone has ever had for you don't be afraid to mm. um because yeah that kid was living other people's dreams and not his own. I think the one thing that I realized being now in my, you know, mid to late thirties, yeah, yikes, um, is that <laughs> you forget how to dream about stuff. You know, you're just sort of mm. getting through each day and being like, well, I'm on very little sleep with the one-year-old and trying to get the band to get heard and, and, and no one's buying tickets to this Wednesday show and, Oh, but Friday's show is great, you know. Yes, yeah. Forget to like have bigger, crazier dreams, you know. Like, did you have some outlandish hope when you were a kid? Like, did you want to be um, James Brown? Like, what was your what was your biggest hope? You think, or was it much smaller than that? Um, <clears throat> back then, hmm, I wasn't too sure about what I really wanted um, out of out of life, really. I knew that I loved to sing and I I had it in the back of my mind that I wanted to sing in front of a large audience of people, but I was afraid to say that out loud. Um, when I was in college, it took several years for my friends to even hear me um, 
sing. So yeah, it was just something that I held on the back burner, but I always journaled. And that's one thing I constantly tell my friends to do, like, yo, journal, like really take the time and journal. And Erica Badu said it best, like write that shit down and watch it manifest. Mm. Talk about it and watch it manifest. There are some things that I have dreams and aspirations for years down the road, but I'm talking to my friends about it right now because I feel like just me talking about it kind of holds me to task. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I, 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 still, I still hold on and I try to dream big. Um, lately, I've been thinking a lot about the inner child within myself because mm. I really do feel like even though we're adults, we all still have this child within us, whether it's curious or wounded or, um, or mischievous or, or jovial um, or practical, that child is still within all of us. And I think as adults, sometimes we forget to check in with that part of ourselves and, and see what it wants. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, so I've, I've been trying to tap into like my inner child and, 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 and really tap into the things that that kid was so afraid of dreaming for and, and really diving into what that is and, and how to achieve it. When uh, little July here was born, um, it was a very scary time about a year ago. My wife almost died having her. And um, I would sit in the parking lot at the hospital and listen to the radio a bit when I was trying to like process what was happening. And your guys' song, Witch You, was the most played song on 88.5, the SoCal Sound. Um, wow. So it was on all the time. And it was just this shot of happiness that would come in this really dark time for me. Um, and it, it just reminded me of, of, of sort of the power of just music lifting your spirits when you need it most, you know? Um, uh, and that song is just pure, sexy energy, you know? Um, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, man. How did you guys decide to call it just with you besides <laughs> instead of with you? <laughs> um, I think that was Aaron. Um, he just had this idea for um, this hook. He heard it um, on some video thing um, and he just knew the rhythm like da 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 with you and so um from there um i took what he i took that melody and the with you part and i wrote down some words and i showed aaron what i had and aaron kind of flipped some things around and that was kind of the start of with you
Do you remember the very first song you wrote? Like how old you were? Uh, I was around, oh man, very first song. I mean, it wasn't a full song, but I used to love to go on like the Windows 95 and we had like this little microphone and we had like this little recording thing. And I record like this little, you could only record for 30 seconds. So I would record these little 30 second songs and then I would pitch my voice up to sound like a chipmunk because I thought it sounded so much cooler. <laughs> like I was doing the Kanye thing before Kanye was around, dog. Like, straight <laughs> up. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Oh. I mean, the Chipmunks Christmas album, that was like a hit on cassette. <laughs> I mean, like, legit, like, went into number one, I think. You know, so that was playing yeah, all the time. Real. But um, I had to be around, like, eight or nine. I still kind of remember a little bit of it. I thought I had a good song. All right, go ahead. Lay it on us. I'm not going to sing that song right now. <laughs> <laughs> there, I had this high school band in Chicago, and the first song that I really sang lead on. What was the name of your, your band? Uh, it was called Iconoclast. Ooh, I like that. Someone who breaks down icons and statues or something. I don't know. Very angsty. It was like alternative rock, blues, bunk or something. I don't know. I wrote this song about called What Makes Jane Break Down. I think it was maybe a playoff. Janie's, Jane's Got a Gun, the Aerosmith song. <laughs> like this teenage girl just like flips out and starts killing people at her high school. <laughs> like that was what I led with like first time. Yes, like, indeed. And my parents were like, okay. Uh, He's got a lot of emotion. It's an interesting choice, but it's a catchy yes, song. So indeed. you do you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, dude, my first band in high school was called Rayleigh's Revenge. It was a okay. Scott punk band, and we decided to name it after our gym coach, okay. Coach Rayleigh. Um, and our emblem was, we just felt like everyone gave Rayleigh so much shit that one day he was just going to come to school and kill us all. Because, like, he really hated everybody. And so we just wanted to base a band off of that. And um, Did he ever see the band live? He never saw the band live, unfortunately. <laughs> never did. But um, I think he would have really liked our our local big hit was called Everyone Has AIDS, which we were wow. teenagers, you know, like we were just really some punk angsty kids. But uh... <laughs> it, is, it is funny to me that a lot of folks and myself included, the first band I was in technically was like a punk band, like eighth grade, seventh, no. eighth grade called labyrinth not based oh on gosh. not based on the movie but on the little game with the ball bearings oh nice i like that. um and our punk rock moment was we played the talent show and we played uh the ramones sedated was our you know our you know signature closer and the austrian a music teacher mrs swisher was so offended at our loud guitars that she she pulled the plug of the power on stage shut us, shut us down which was even funnier because my dad was the host what? of the talent show wow <laughs> so my dad's on stage and he's like okay folks uh give him a round of applause i guess uh here's the next here's the next deck <laughs> like he didn't back us up at all he's like all right and, oh. and off, off the stage you go <laughs> 
<laughs> Dang. And then afterwards, he was like, that was messed up. You guys sounded great. You know, like, I was like, yeah, Mrs. Swisher was not down for the cause. She was not down with it, bro. She was not down with it at all. <laughs> she was like, you only sing Wagner in my class. That's all we do. Okay. <laughs> if you could collaborate with someone totally unexpected, who would it be? Is there someone that you'd love to do a song with? Precock Wagner, man. You know, he'd love to come back from the grave. <laughs> No, he, he'd be like, wait a second. Uh, I don't work with uh, black soul singers. <laughs> or maybe he would. I don't know. <laughs> hey, I, I can let out a little, you know, held in tenor, a little bel canto, whatever the fuck they call it. I can do the lo, 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 lo. <laughs> Did you have to play some intense classical shit on saxophone for your graduate oh, yeah. program? Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm not as good as I used to be back then I was practicing like six to eight hours a day um eight hours yeah playing some very ridiculous extremely tough music one day I will get back there again I have this dream of doing this classical music record but um as with collaborating with anybody right now honestly um just because I really love his stuff and to me he's like honestly, the most prolific, well, one of the most prolific songwriters that is still here today, Stevie Wonder, hands down. I wouldn't even have to write anything. I would just love to just sit next to him on the piano and just just watch and listen. That, that would be a treat in itself. Is there a favorite Stevie song that you grew up singing? I know your dad used to also sing back in Louisiana, right? He was in different groups. No, um, my grandmother used to play a little organ in church, but my dad was, he was, he was a jock straight up. Like, oh, okay. it's so weird that I was born from his genes, whatever, because <laughs> yeah, dog, he was like basketball player, six, three. He wanted all of his sons to be basketball players. And I was like, hell no, dude. I knew like I'm too sensitive for that, Dad. Yeah, I knew I knew like from the time I was like five years old, I wanted to play music. And he was putting me in basketball. And I was like, man, come on, get me out of here. I hate this stuff. Um see, see this is why song. you can't believe things you read on the internet. I for, for some reason I, <laughs> I read somewhere that like your dad was like also playing around in bands back oh, in the day. Oh no, 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 not my pop. Thanks for nothing interview prep <laughs> why did i prep by reading things on the internet <sighs> you know uh you know his dad actually uh used to uh, be an airline pilot and uh he used to uh you know be a mountain climber i'll just keep making things up from the internet you know? <laughs> do you feel like your solo record is it even possible to recreate live? Have you tried doing it yet? I know you have a whole string section, like in that first song, especially Jerry Marie. I mean, it is a big orchestra lifting up your vocals. It's beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, Tracks, like how are you gonna do it live? Um, I don't want, and I've told the band this cause we're gonna be playing a lot this year. Um, yep, we got coming up in May, we have shows in Bloomington, we have two, Sold out shows in LA, I have shows in New York, um, Chicago. We're heading to Japan later this year. We'll be doing Newport Jazz Fest, Mill Valley Festival, Bumbershoot. And there's more stuff like being in the works that is talked about right now. We're all really excited to play this music live. 
definitely going to do it but i'm not going to do it in a way that folks will expect me to um mm-hmm. i feel like people have seen me perform in many ways with the indications um and with that group i'm just a singer a front man um with this project i'll be playing saxophone i'll be playing keys as well as singing um there'll be two drummers on stage two oh, wow. sets kind of like the James Brown vibe um everyone singing in the group strings um will be a special occasion kind of thing um i'm really glad that you said that you know that string section on the first track feels very lush um because it's only honestly four mm. um just uh violin one two viola cello um some really amazing string players from the Jacob School of Music at IU which mm. arguably Jacob School of Music is the best music school in the world um people all over the world travel to specifically study there um and so getting some string players from there it was just like getting world class musicians um they were very adamant about me playing the piano and singing while i while they played which okay. was not my plan to do in the studio um it's the first time i ever sang and played on a recording at the same time and uh it was a nerve-wracking experience but it was really really beautiful but once we recorded that bass of me on piano singing and the four of them then we had them just retrack it one more time to just make it sound fuller and i mean it really they really made it sound like a full orchestra and i'm so thankful for those guys um not only that it feels like almost like you're opening a movie you know like there's there's a cinematic quality uh, i think you let your voice soar more on this uh record than maybe your previous indication stuff like just letting the drama kind of come out more you know romance mm. you know um and I feel like, yeah, I, I didn't expect it to feel kind of like a musical at times. Like I, 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 I see this on Broadway someday, somehow, you know. Okay, I'll take it, baby. I will take it. <laughs> Have you ever been in a in an actual musical or on on a, a dramatic show like that before? Um, I've done one musical where I sang and did some acting. Um, but all the other musicals that I performed in, I was either a tech person backstage or I was okay. playing one of the read books. I don't know if you grew up listening to, you know, old school Broadway musicals. That was definitely oh, some yeah. part of my upbringing. I think most boomer parents are like, they're going to be playing, you know, sound of music and music man and all those things at you no matter what. But I never realized until I think the last few years, how much that has filtered in accidentally to my songwriting, you know, um, the idea that you can tell a story in this big theatrical way, you know, uh, which I think 
certain bands, Queen, for example, like, you know, oh, it's nice. Elton John. These are big flamboyant personalities that, I mean, they obviously have Broadway musicals now of their music, but that's not what initially they intended, but it was so big from the beginning. Uh, you know, you have a song like I Want You on this new record that is pretty out there at times. It feels like Tom Waits's percussion, uh, you know, is is filtered in from the back door. Like the time signatures may be changing throughout. You've got a lot of weird stuff happening. And I was super fucking down. But also like, what the hell is happening? I almost like looked down at the screen like, did I accidentally put on something a different record here it's but then you have the gospel choir and the synth bass kind of come in in the back like what is happening in that track um i i would like to call it psychedelic gospel um all right yeah uh because i initially like that song when i play it just me and piano it sounds like a gospel song um but whenever i got with these guys um shout out to I call him the MVP of this project. His name is Ben Lumsdane. He played drums, he played guitar, he played synth. He also engineered this record and then he mixed it as well. Um, wow. but when we got to this tune, he was like, I have an idea. Give me one hour, please just give me one hour. And so I, I was like, okay. And so we're just sitting, waiting and we just hear him just like banging on a lot of stuff, just Boom, 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 boom. Ah! You know, just like all this random stuff. I'm like, what the hell is he doing in there? And um, he creates this groove that almost feels like it, in a way, it's like it's it's almost rolling, but it feels like it's not like a perfect circle. It's like a cone. So it's like rolling and it like goes like it slowly rolls and it goes fast and then slowly rolls and it goes fast and so he really created this groove like that um and it immediately reminded me of these um these suits that this sculptist nick cave not the musician um but the but the the visual artist um he makes these things called sound suits um where they cover up the entire body. They're super intricate and really crazy. And whenever you move in them, um, they make sounds. And he has this one wooden suit that really reminded me of that. And so we leaned into, we leaned into those crazy raucous drums and we tried to um, find the voice of it. started recording this tune I was telling the band I was like yo everything feels way too long like we need to play our drums like their percussion I want I want 
you guys to play your instruments like you're filling in holes and gaps and so that was kind of like the the process of really trying to make the song work with those percussion instruments i didn't want anybody really playing long i just wanted filling in spaces play your instrument like you're a percussionist like you're a drummer yeah you know and um so that was really the basis of that tune um speaking of the lyrics in terms of that tune i want you kind of leans itself to like a gospel lyric um in many ways um a lot of gospel songs have like that vague it's kind of they have that vague love song vibes like they're singing to jesus but it could really be to anybody anyone anybody and so um with this one i wanted to have that vibe but I didn't want to sing to God necessarily. I really wanted to sing to music um, because at the time when I wrote this song, I was working a nine to five in a science lab of all places. Somehow, somewhere I landed that job. As one does. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and immediately when I would get home, I would go straight to the piano. And I mm. would, I was, des that song was like a desperate prayer of like being like, okay, music. I've pushed every relationship aside, every intimate relationship aside for you. Like, this is, you're, you're what I want, you know? And folks are telling me that I should give it up or that it's not meant to be, that my voice is too loud, it's too shrilly, I scream too much. I've heard all of that shit, but I was like, man, I just want you music and I want you to want me the same way so please who, come on like i'm here like I'm who told here. you that you who told you that you scream too much oh, gosh. <laughs> listen can you just lower your volume by 50 percent and then sing <laughs> <laughs> probably um for a little while i definitely have a really big voice um and i'm proud of it i used there was one point in time where i was getting very self-conscious about it but i've learned especially doing this solo project to like, actually like, it's okay singing loud. It's okay singing with resonance. I got my training initially um, in college. There were a couple of vocal coaches who, when I started to sing, they would hear me sing and really uh, implore that I would do some vocal lessons with them. And they were opera singers and they were teaching classical singing. And so the big key that I got from them was resonance. Just like, cause to sing opera, you know, you just have to have yeah. really, you don't have to have a big voice, but it just has to be resonant. You have to make, you have to find a way to make even your sobs reach the back of the room. Mm -hmm. And um, that was something that I really took to heart. And yeah, I just had to learn to like really embrace and and accept that hitting the road really hard with the indications was a learning lesson for me because at the beginning i was hurting myself a lot i didn't necessarily know um now i kind of think of my voice kind of like a a coin purse or something like i don't want to like unload all of my money onto the stage uh too soon i kind of <laughs> pick my moments you know to really give it to them um especially the older and older i get uh i try to be a little more self-conscious and aware 
of those things nowadays. But uh, but now, yeah, um, there's some moments after a show where I feel I still feel the need to like sing and really get it going. And um, yeah, some friends will come up to me after the show, like while I'm singing, they just be like, I can't believe you're singing like that after you just sang for two hours. And I'm like, I have to, you know, like, yeah, if, if my body and soul is calling for it and I still need to do it, I'm gonna do it. And and sometimes when they're taken aback from me doing that, it makes me feel like, yeah, okay, I got something special here. Like, yeah, maybe this is a superpower of mine. I think that a lot of folks go into playing music on the road as a happy accident, right? A lot of, we didn't expect this to be our hundred days a year occupation yeah. right i mean it's a thing i've been in bands since you know 13 um probably more you know full on for the last 10 years or so but the thing is do i have any real training in this absolutely not i went to college for writing right I, i'm a writer first in my mind um but i'm also accidentally one of the lead singers in this band and i love singing i don't think i almost didn't even realize how much i love singing until it was taken away right yeah and i go to this you know i went to an ent and a uh, there's a vocal health uh kind of a specialty at cedar sinai hospital here in la and they're like yeah you probably should have come here about seven years ago but uh we'll see what we can do for you and the funny thing is, is, again, you don't even realize how you talk can damage your voice, right? Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be talking more up here, right? But I like talking down here. And you're like, and the, the specialist there is like, what, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? <laughs> I'm like, this is the way I talk. She's like, no, no, it isn't. <laughs> wow. So now I have to be kind of more conscious about how I talk more up here. Wow, wow. Because I think a lot of folks, men especially, they want to sound like they're forceful and yeah, manly definitely. down here. But really, my natural voice is probably more up here, you know? Yeah, man, that's so interesting. So uh, you live and you learn. Hopefully, uh, you know, I feel it It definitely has bounced back finally. Uh, but it's it's you never know what you have until sometimes it disappears. Ooh, I tell you what, man. Oh, Miss Hayden. Let's take it out with another song from the new record, uh, Sadie. I feel like, again, there's this overall thread of of loneliness and questioning the character of Sadie is almost someone you're like calling out to, you know, about, you know, almost maybe it's your therapist. I don't know. Who is the character of Sadie for you in this song? Sadie was this, this is based off of a true story, slightly. Um, Sadie was this beautiful person I met while I was living out in New Orleans who was happy, unhappily married 
Um, and I was, I was like a young 20 something, real skinny, real naive. And, um, <laughs> she would, she would come knock on my apartment door and be like, Hey Duran, I made crawfish etouffee today. You want to come over? Yes, I do. Uh, yes, I do. And yeah. And so we got to talking about, you know, just how she was very unhappy started to have we started to create this bond um that became intimate and um her, this is where the story changes her husband never found out if he would if he would find out to this day he probably would kill me like straight up motherfucker probably like shoot me spot <laughs> on. and so that's why i called her sadie i didn't call her by her real name So yeah, um, I just wanted to tap on that with this record because going back to I Want You being like the ultimate form of love and realizing mm. that, but beforehand, um, I was, yeah, I definitely was looking for love in exciting ways and found that, you know, love through infidelity even though it was like really risky and the risk kind of was thrilling right. and fun in a way, but it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it at all. And um, afterwards, I always felt like crap. Jerry Marine is also about, you know, leaving someone. That feeling is also about leaving someone. Mm. And I, I, I really do feel like the love songs in this, in this record is is really about me like pushing i guess love aside for music i want you is like the it's like mm -hmm. the thing that i just yeah so it, yeah it's been really interesting um you know talking about these songs and and, and realizing you know what i'm working through because it's been a process um being vulnerable and putting myself out here in this way and 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 seeing you know what i'm, I'm gaining from it uh, it's almost like putting out this record in a way is almost like a therapy yeah. uh, session project for myself. Yeah, I, I love what you've created here. And, you know, let's just say Mrs. Sadie, you know, her her husband doesn't need to know. Um, the 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 funniest story I always remember is this this guy who used to play banjo in our group. He's from Missouri and he accidentally got into this relationship with a woman who was married. He didn't know. And he uh, he came back to his hometown in Missouri to play a show with his his band, and the guy found out. And I guess the stage in this bar was right against like a the back was like a window, like a full on like glass window to the parking lot. And all of a sudden, he sees the audience kind of being like, "Oh my god!" And he turns around, and this dude who ended up being the husband just started banging on the glass with a hammer. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> and then, and then started trying to come through the front, but luckily like he had 
all of his buddies from like the football team that he grew up with, like at the show. And they just like barricaded the door and like didn't let the guy. <laughs> wow. Wow. And so he just stood behind the stage with like outside with a hammer being like, I know what you did. And then he's like, I didn't know she was married. <laughs> and then he's trying to play, like, you know, continue the show playing the banjo. <laughs> yeah man i hope i hope that never happens oh, <laughs> i hope it never happens man i think you know i think soul music you know whatever you call this is is the genre that is the movement that actually is saying shit and having the courage oh. to really have some big ideas and that's why i think i've gravitated towards it in my own songwriting and it's also just i think the one of the most timeless um parts of american music it's just something that we need just as much now as we did in the 60s and 70s you know yeah much love and i really yeah, man. appreciate this thank you for the opportunity cool man talk to you soon all right peace bro bye bye Big thanks to Duran Jones for getting on the line with me. Wait Till I Get Over is his brand new solo debut record. It's on Dead Oceans. And uh, man, really put this on loud. Get the vinyl. Uh, it's a beautiful record. You can go to duran-jones.com for his tour dates. He's playing two shows here in L.A. tonight, May 11th, and tomorrow, Friday, May 12th, at the Masonic Lodge in Hollywood, then going up to the Mill Valley Music Festival in Northern California. He's going to be playing in Japan, uh, in London, in Paris, Seattle. Lots of stuff coming up on his website, and uh, he'll be with his group, Duran Jones and the Indications, I'm sure, all over the place. I apologize for my voice being a bit crispy. Uh, my 15-month-old, who you heard a little bit on this uh, taping, uh, gave me whatever virus daycare has given her this week. That's just the way it works now. Luckily, I have a few more weeks off until my group Dust Bowl Revival is back on the road. Uh, June 8th, we're going to be up at the West Theater in Duluth, Minnesota, and then at the Parkway Theater in Minneapolis. June 9th, my hometown of Evanston, Illinois, at Space uh, on the uh, 10th, and then playing Milwaukee, Wisconsin at Collectivo on the 11th. Tell a friend we're coming their way. If you are still listening this long, I commend you. Well done. Uh, my group, Patio Club, our little rock and soul outfit here in LA, will be playing at Hotel Cafe June 3rd, and we might even get some harmonica for my dad who will be in town. As always, the show on the road is written, produced, and edited by yours truly, and we are part of the BGS Podcast Network. Stay safe, stay creative, and we'll see you on the trail. Tennis in the moors, the aftermath when you put your prejudice before humanity. Let me speak to you candidly. We practice in philanthropy while you're taking our families home. Losing my sanity, I struggle showing empathy. Knowing the ones I seek for understanding is the enemy. Crucifying our characteristic God and Lawrence piercing my pride and telling lies. Trying to Hey, music fans, we wanted to let you know about Music on the Mountain, a show that will feature Anders Osborne, Dogs in a Pile, and Saints and Liars. This show will be directly after the Divided Sky Foundation's fun run at 2 p.m. on Saturday, May 18th at the base of Akimo Mountain in Ludlow, Vermont. 
The show is presented by The Phoenix, a national nonprofit organization offering support to those in recovery and anyone impacted by substance use to celebrate recovery. If you're running in the Divided Sky Foundation's fund run, you'll be automatically registered for the show. It's a family-friendly event, and all proceeds from ticket sales and other donations benefit the Divided Sky Foundation. Visit Music on the Mountain, that's musiconthemtn.com, for more info and to get tickets. That's musiconthemtn.com. Hope you enjoy. Enjoy.